Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, November 14th, 2021, we continue our series titled Romans, Gospel for All Time. Today's sermon, Implications of Justification by Faith, will be taught to us by Pastor Thomas Slager out of Romans chapter 3, verses 27 through 31. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's sermon. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. It's an important word, the word gift. All have sinned and as we are justified by his grace in a gift, it's clear that no one makes any contribution to his own justification. It is purely of God. God gave you the gift of grace with no expectation of your obedience. And he continues to give it to you today. The power of the gospel is understanding that his grace forgave you for your sins of your past. His grace forgives you for what you're doing right at this moment. And you will need his future grace tomorrow. That's the beauty of God's gift. Um, As I said, Romans chapter 3, verses 27 through 31. Let me give you some quick historical context of this church in Rome. The church in Rome is a pretty diverse church, okay? Every race, every background, every religion, it's all settled in Rome. So you have all sorts of these people bringing their own thoughts, their own ideas to the table. And of course, everyone thinks their way is the right way. So we have some conflict in the church in Rome when it comes to what must we do to be saved. We have conflict when it comes to following Jesus. We have conflict uh, when it comes to the law, conflict when it comes to faith. Uh, And this is a big reason why Paul writes the letter to the church in Rome, um, to settle some of these things right off the bat. It's also, I think, why Romans is positioned so early on within the New Testament to hit some of these big theological things before we head into the rest of it. Last week, big idea that we saw is justification uh, by grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone. Justification, it's being made righteous because of what Christ has done, not because of anything that we've done, by faith alone, grace alone, and Christ alone. As a follow-up to that message that we saw last week, Paul, and then this, in, in this text, verses 27 through 31, we're gonna see three implications, three truths that we need to deal with because of this doctrine of justification by grace alone, grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone. We've been saying that a lot throughout our series, and we're gonna continue saying it a lot again this morning. So three implications we're gonna see in the text this morning because of that doctrine of justification. Let me read it for us. Romans chapter three, verses 27 through 31. It says this, then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Let me pray again ask the Lord for his help and then we'll dive into what he has for us today. God, while it's my voice that's been heard, we know it's your word that's been spoken and this morning we trust your word, not culture, not society, not what the world tells us. We trust your word is the authority for our life. So God, this morning, we ask that you'd convict us of our sin, that you'd help us align our life more closely to the life you've called us to live in the scriptures and that that would be done for your glory 
and your glory alone. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Three implications of justification by faith. In the text this morning, we're gonna see the same structure happen three times. We're gonna see question, answer, explanation. Question, answer, explanation. Question, answer, explanation. That's the way Paul laid this out for us. And the first implication that he brings is that believers, those who follow Christ, have no reason to brag about themselves. Man, what a bummer. What a bummer. The question he asks, then what becomes of our boasting? If we've been justified, made right in the eyes of God by faith and grace in Christ alone, not because of anything we've said or anything that we've done, then how are we supposed to brag about ourselves? What becomes of our boasting? And he says this, he says it's excluded. It's excluded. This word excluded has the idea of being shut out. Uh, Maybe you've sent your kid to their room before. Hey, go to your room. Yes, dad. And they close it ever so gently, right? So you don't hear it close, right? The idea of excluded is fine, bam, slam the door. That's what this word is. This is slamming the door on the idea of pride, on the idea of boasting. Then what becomes of our boasting? We're slamming the door on that. There's no place for us to boast, What about my accomplishments? We don't boast in accomplishments, we boast in Christ. What about my credentials? We don't boast in credentials, we boast in Christ. Are accomplishments bad, are credentials bad? No. But where is our boast? Our boast is in Jesus. He really begins to speak to this deep-seated issue that we have called pride. Pride, and it certainly wells up inside of us. We see something cool, we wanna be cooler, so we say something cooler. You see a picture, you wanna do something better, so you, you post a better picture. I grew up going to this campground as a kid. For three summers, we did this. My parents had this like, uh, camper at this rink-a-dink campground um, in Michigan at Lake of the Woods, and over by the showers where you had to put, you'd put a quarter in, and then you get a minute. You get a minute to shower for every quarter that you put in. The water never got warm. It, it was the worst thing ever. But you're a kid, so it's cool and you don't care, right? Over by the showers, they had this thing called a brag board. And on the brag board, you could go post your biggest fish from that week and just kind of boast about the awesome fish that you caught. And we'd see these big bluegill, not like the tiny little bluegill you use for bait to catch big catfish and stuff, Um, but like the ones that look like they've been injected with steroids, like some Chernobyl chemistry crazy thing going on inside of a fish or big largemouth bass. We had walleye, we had crappie, there was yellow perch. There's even northern pike. A northern pike looks like a freshwater, um, like a barracuda type thing, which as a child, that's kind of concerning to see that that thing's in the lake. But they'd post these big, big fish just to show like, sorry about that. I caught bigger fish than you'll ever catch. And your whole, we just brag. It's a brag board. Now, you, we might not have like brag boards in the places we hang out now, but we all carry like several brag boards in our pocket on social media and everything. And the temptation when you see something awesome that someone else did is to kind of be like, well, I did something cool too. See, I'm cool. I did something. Oh, you're pretty? I'm prettier. You're strong? I'm stronger. This is what we do. We want to boast about ourselves. We want to show how cool we are, show our accomplishments or whatever they might be. And he says, then what comes of our boasting? What are we supposed to do with the great things we've done? What are we supposed to do with the great things that we have? What are we supposed to do with all the great things about ourselves? How are we supposed to put those out there? What becomes of our boasting? 
He just says it's excluded. It's shut out. We don't get to. Take your Bible. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. It says this, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Here we go again. Justification by grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone. This is the consistent message all throughout the New Testament. Justification being made right in the eyes of God. Faith alone, grace alone, and Christ alone. By grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's a gift. It's grace. It's a gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one can boast. I love that line, not a result of works so that no one can boast because if it was a result of works, you better believe we would boast. Hey, what'd you do to get in? What'd you do to get in? Helped 100 old ladies cross the street. Wow. Wow, what'd you do to get in? I, I fed people at the shelter every Saturday. Wow. Wow, what'd you do to get in? Just genuine, genuinely good person. What'd you do to get in? Thought more good stuff than bad stuff. Would you, we, would, we, we brag about ourselves. What did you do to get in? Oh man, I gave away this much money to build these things. What did you do to get in? We, we would brag. But he says it's not a result of works. Not our works anyways. It is a result of works. It's the works of Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection. They're a result of the works of Christ. It's not a result of our works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're not saved by our good works. We're saved by his good work for the purpose of us going out and doing good works. This is what he calls us to. He calls us to a life of good works. Lest we think we have a reason to brag, the rest of verse 10, it says, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Who brought me into a relationship with Christ? Christ did. He did. He gets credit for that. Who gets credit for all the good things that he calls me to do? Even, even he gets credit for that. It says the good things that happen in my life, God set me up to do them. He gets credit even for the good things I do. I don't get to brag about them. Imagine this with me. The Israelites, they, they get out of Egypt because God delivers them from Egypt. First of all, imagine them boasting in that. Guys, look what we did. See how we escaped from Egypt? Man. No, God did all that stuff. What are you talking about? Imagine them walking through the Red Sea and then turning around and being like, yeah, you see what we did there? It's like, no, God did the whole thing. You had nothing to do with that. You just had faith. You just walked into the situation that God set you up for success in. He parted the Red Sea. You don't do that. How ridiculous would have been for the Israelites to boast in the parting of the Red Sea because they can't take credit for it. Only God can. That's kind of how it is in our life. He's constantly parting the Red Sea and setting us up to go do things for his glory. May never be said of us that we're doing this all the time, patting the back on, look what I can do, look what I can do. No, we should boast in Christ and say, man, look what our God can do, amen? Believers have no place to boast. He says this, by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, we're not playing by a law of works. We're playing by the law of faith. The law of works says, do this and live. Do these things and live. A law of faith says, believe and be saved. That's the law of faith. Believe and be saved for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. We're justified, grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from works of the law. We're not saved by our works. We're justified only by what Christ has done on our behalf. Believers 
have no reasons to brag about themselves. The second implication we see in the text is that God is God whether we believe it or not. God is God whether we believe it or not. Verse 29 says this, or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yeah, of Gentiles also. So the question here is, is he only the Jewish God? Like is God only the Jewish God and not and not the Gentile God? Is God only the, the Jewish God and, and not uh, like, like the everyone else? Or is God not like the Mormon God? Is God not like the Islam God? Is, not, is God not uh, th- this other God? Are there a bunch of different ones? And he goes on and says, uh, he's the God of Gentiles also. Why? Because God's one. He's one. There's one. There's one God. There's not a whole bunch of gods out there. Isaiah chapter 44, verse six says this. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. There is no God. You might serve something else, believe something else. It's a small g God, which means not a God. There's no, there's no such thing. He, he is God. So the question that we ask, the question should not be, is he your God? Have you made him your God? The question is, have you realized yet that he is your God? Have you made him the Lord of your life? You don't make the Lord the Lord. He is the Lord. Have you realized that he is the Lord of your life? And you're either serving the Lord or you're living in rebellion against him. Which one is it? We don't have different options here. If I were to ask you this question, man, who is the best baseball team? Best baseball team, what do you got? There's only one answer and you're wrong. Okay, I didn't say who's your favorite. I didn't say who had the best batting average. I didn't say who had the best pitchers, who made the least errors. Who's the best? It's the Braves. Like they they won. You You can't argue against it. There's, there's one. They're the best team in baseball. How do you know? Because there's one. There's one every year. And well, God isn't like a different God every year. It's not up for argument. They were the best team in baseball and God says, hey, I am God. I am, I am. Besides me, there is no God. Jesus even said this in John 14, verse six. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't leave it up for conversation and open for debate, but there's another way, Jesus, right? You're just saying that because you have, nope, 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 nope. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's not as if there's a bunch of different ways to the top of the mountain, and as long as you pick a trail that you like and get to the top, you're fine. No, there's actually things that appear like trails to the top. They're just trails to destruction, Trails away from him. Trails up. There's one way to the Father, and, and he says it is through Jesus. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, since there's one God, there's one justifier, and since there's only one justifier, there's only one justification, and that justification comes by grace through faith in Christ and Christ alone. You might have noticed in verse 30 some weird prepositional changes there. Um, where he says the circumcised were justified by faith and the uncircumcised were justified through faith. Why is one justified by faith 
and one justified through faith. Doesn't that seem like a different justification? The answer is no. There's one justification. When he talks about the Jews being justified, that's the circumcised as the Jews by faith. We're talking about the faith being the source of justification. And some of this is semantics and some of it um, is, is important to see a difference of, right? Because the, the, the source had always been faith in Christ. The source of justification had always been faith, trusting in God. But for them, they took the source to be, it's their works. We have to do the right things, say the right things. And that becomes the source for our justification. And because the Jews previously had a relationship with God, they were God's chosen people, they had the source. They had a source being faith. The uncircumcised non-Jews, so anyone not Jewish, you're an uncircumcised Gentile is what the Bible would call you. It says they were, were justified through faith. We're talking about the means of justification. They previously had no source because they had not a relationship with God and were not his chosen people. But now on the other side of the resurrection of Christ, the source is Jesus. So here's the question. Is faith in Christ the means of our justification or is faith in Christ the source of our justification? The answer is yes. He is. He is the means of our justification. He is the source of our justification. We're justified by grace alone through Christ alone. Romans chapter 10, fast forward there with me real quick. Romans chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. Romans chapter 10 Verses 12 and 13 says this, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all. The same Lord is Lord of all. We don't make him the Lord, he is the Lord. The question is, are we living a life of obedience and serving him or are we living our life in rebellion against him? For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Man, you might feel close to the Lord this morning. You might feel far away from the Lord this morning. The reality for each and every one of us is the same. If we call upon his name, we'll be saved. There's one justification. There's one God, and he is God, whether we believe it or not. Now, here's the big question. How do we know this God's really God? How do we know this God's really God? Because there's a lot of people who claim something else. And this is where apologetics, have you heard this word apologetics comes from? Um, it's from a passage in 1 Peter where it talks about we should always be prepared to make a defense for the hope that we have in Christ. And this idea of making a defense is the word apologia, where we get the word apologetics. It's the ability to defend your faith. And if someone asked you the question, man, how did you know that your God's the real God? Are you ready to answer that question? That's a big question. I think a lot of us, we tend to go down to this. Well, because it's what the Bible says. Okay, follow-up question. But man, there's a lot of holy books out there that say something else. How can you trust this one? How do you trust this one? Let me give you um, a quick answer. And I'm sure it's not gonna satisfy you completely. Here's one way that I answer that question. I talk about how the Bible is historically accurate how it's textually accurate, how it's prophetically accurate, and even Jesus and the apostles believed it. And if it was good enough for them, it's good enough for me. Historically accurate, how do you mean? There, well, one example, there's these people in the Bible called the Hittites, where archaeologists and historians for a long time said, see, the Bible's wrong because history never shows these real people, these Hittites. It's a fallacy, it's all fake, it's not real. It's, that shows you it's made up. 
How can this Bible be true if it's talking about people who never existed? 1833, an archaeologist uncovered an ancient city. It was the ancient capital of guess who? The Hittites. And in the city, they found like, doc, like document after document um, talking about the, the history of the Hittites and uh, outlining the history of also their enemies, the Israelites. The Bible shows itself time and time again to be historically accurate. What, what do you mean textually accurate? We got really good copies, really good manuscripts of copies of the oldest versions of the Bible that we can find in 1946. You've probably heard of this discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. They were the oldest copies we've ever had of books in the New Testament. Oldest copies ever. And what we found is like by hundreds and hundreds of years, thousands of years in some cases, the oldest documents we had of God's word. And what we found is that the, like the previous older versions that we had and the oldest versions that we found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, guess what? Identical. Textually, the Bible, all the copies we have, they are incredibly accurate. It's prophetically accurate. Man, hundreds of times the Old Testament predicts the coming of a Messiah. And mathematicians have equated it like this. For one person um, to fulfill every one of those prophecies would be like covering Texas three feet deep in half dollars or quarters. Pick your favorite coin. Half dollars is what he uses. And then it would be like me selecting one coin, perusing Texas, and burying it. And then giving you one chance, blindfolded, to just walk around Texas, reach in, and pick out the coin that I found. Statistically, I mean, that's, that sounds hard. <laughs> like impossible, right? But that's statistically the same, same thing of one man fulfilling all of those Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah. So it's historically accurate, it's textually accurate, it's prophetically accurate, and Jesus and the apostles believed it. Jesus taught from it. You have the apostles referring to other people's letters in the New Testament as the scriptures. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of trails we can go down when it comes to men. Why do you believe what you believe? Well, friends, let me just encourage you. Um, spend some time trying to figure out how to answer some of those questions. And maybe this morning you're like, man, there's so many questions. There are a lot of questions. There's a lot of questions. Let's just do the hard work of hard work and try to figure out how we want to answer those questions to the people in our community. God is God, whether we believe it or not. Third implication he gives us of justification by faith is that believers need to obey God's commands. Believers need to obey God's commands. The question comes in verse 31. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? If we're living by the law of faith, the law of works is out the window, right? All the things that God calls us to do, those are just done. We don't have to worry about obedience anymore, right? And really what he's doing here is teeing up an argument he's gonna launch against these people that we call the antinomians, anti-law people in Romans chapter six. We're gonna cover that more when we get there. Do we just throw the law out completely? The answer is by no means. This is that Greek word meganoida that we've talked about before. It means absolutely not. Do we just throw out the law? Do we throw out the commands? Do we throw out the principles that God has given us? No. No, on the contrary, we uphold them. 
We still live our life according to the, what, what God has. We, we still uphold the law. We still follow the Lord the way the Lord has asked us to follow him. Why would we do this? Well, what's the purpose of the law? We've seen in Romans, the purpose of the law, one, is to reveal my sin. It's to reveal my sin. So when I break God's laws, um, the Holy Spirit convicts me for breaking God's laws, and then it turns me to repent and confess and change my life. It also is this constant reminder of, man, you need Jesus. You still need Jesus. Fast forward to Romans chapter seven, the apostle Paul, he asked this question, man, why is it the things I wanna do, I don't do, and the things I hate, those are the things I keep on doing. You ever feel like that as a believer? Right, why can't, the things I want to do, I don't do them. The things I never wanna do again, like talk to my spouse with that tone, yell at my kids in that way, jump to conclusions about people, judge people, the things I don't wanna do, guess the things I keep doing? Those things. And then he responds, he asks the question, who can save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ, amen? That's what the law causes us to do. It causes us to repent and turn to Jesus and live. It helps us submit our life in obedience to him. This is what Christ calls us to, by the way, in John chapter 14, verse 15, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Elsewhere he says, hey, why do you, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Like, don't those things not match up? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't, don't do what I tell you to do? Because you're honoring me with your lips, but it's like your hearts are just so far from me. You don't listen, you don't obey. And here, Jesus says, man, if you love me, this you will. If you love me, you will. You will keep my commandments. Take your Bibles and go to James chapter two with me real quick. James chapter two, verses 14 through 19. James chapter two, verses 14 through 19 say this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Well, wait a minute. What happened to this law of faith versus law of works thing? When it talks about how you're saved, yeah, those are totally mutually exclusive things. When it comes to how believers live their life, people have been saved by grace through faith, not by our works in Christ alone. Works should be evident. What good is it if you have faith but not works? The answer is it's not good. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good's that? The answer is it's not good. If you see a hungry person and you tell them, go be filled and you don't feed them, how... That's not helpful. If you see someone cold and you've got the means to help them be warm and you don't help them be warm, instead you just say, be warm and don't help them, what good is that? The answer is that's not good. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say you have faith and I have works. He responds with this, show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. Authentic faith is an acting faith. 
Okay, a workless faith, it's a worthless faith. If you have no works, you may have no faith. That's the way he outlines this. But aren't we saved by grace through faith in Christ alone? 100%. 100%. But he still calls us to obedience. He still calls us to respond in our life when the Holy Spirit speaks to us and moves on our heart to go do something for him. He expects us to respond and obey. Believers need to obey God's commands. Three implications of justification by faith. We've seen believers can't brag on self. We've seen that God is God, whether we believe it or not. And we've also seen that believers must obey. Let me ask you three questions just to reflect on this morning. The first one's this. Do you brag on you or do you brag on Jesus? Look at your life. Where is your boast? On the brag boards we have accessible to us, is it more about you or is it more about Christ? Is it more about the idea of of helping other people see how great you are and how great your achievements are and your accomplishments? And maybe they are great. Maybe God's done amazing things in your life. But who gets the credit for parting that Red Sea in your life? Jesus gets the credit for that. We give him, him the credit for that. Man, great game. Thanks, glory to God. Man, way to close the deal on that. That was awesome. Oh, thanks, man. I'm just so thankful to God that he allowed me this opportunity. You're just so smart. You're always getting straight A's on stuff. I don't know, such a blessing. I'm so grateful for the work ethic that God's given me and the brain that he's blessed me with. And I don't know. Got wonderful kids. Man, glory to God. Glory to God. Occasionally a blind squirrel finds a nut. I, I thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for doing wonderful things in the life of my kids. I mean, there, there's ways every single day we can boast in Jesus. Would we not boast in self and take opportunities on the brag boards of life to confidently point, point, me, 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 me. May we point to Christ and say, man, world who needs Jesus, realize just how amazing, amazing he is. Do you brag about you? Do you brag about Jesus? He saw that God is God, believe it or not. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Not just believe some things about him, like, yeah, he existed, Jesus existed, great teacher great teacher. He may have even been a prophet. He didn't give us that opportunity to answer that way. Okay, he said, I am the way. He said, I and the Father are one. He said he was God. So if you're saying he's just a good teacher, but he was saying he's God, that makes him a liar and not a good teacher. Do you just believe some things about him or actually trust him for who he is and what he's done. Do you know some things about him or do you actually know him? John chapter 17, verse three, it says, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? But many of you, you, you know about my kids. I talk about them all the time. Few of you know my kids really, really know them. I know some stuff about LeBron James. I don't know LeBron James. If you know LeBron James, I'd like to know him, so maybe hook me up. I'd like to meet him. 
Do you know Jesus or you just know some stuff about him? We can know him. We can have a real relationship with him. To all who believed him, who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. We can have a real fellowship, a real relationship with the Lord. Do you believe? Third thing we saw is that believers must obey. If you do believe, do you also obey? Or do you say, Lord, Lord, but not actually do what he says? I think all of us, if we took an honest inventory of our life, there's still some like, old, before Christ things we're holding on to in our life. Maybe some attitudes, maybe even some actions, maybe some thoughts. If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, behold, new things have come. What old things are you still hanging on to? And maybe it's not even something you're hanging on to, like, yeah, I really like this, but maybe it's still there. Right, one of, one of the, the, the old the old, like dead, not spiritually alive, Thomas, one of the things I, I hate about myself is how short my fuse can get, especially with my kids. Right, if we have a long day here, or who knows what external thing is causing me some stress or some anger or anxiety or whatever it might be, the place that gets directed is typically towards the people I love the most. They get to see the worst of me. I hate it. I hate it. Dad, can we... Okay, very first fruit of the Spirit. Love is what? Patient. I'm blowing the first one. Man, this morning, I just just want to give that over to Jesus and say, man, God, you've called me into relationship with you. The old me is dead. The new me is alive, and I'm alive in Christ and in Christ alone, not because of anything that I've done, but only because of what you've done. And God, I'm so thankful that it's not my works, the things I say, the things I do that keep me saved. It's you and you alone that have saved me. It's Christ and it's Christ alone, but God, by your grace, by your power, and by your spirit, would you continue sanctifying me in the ways in which I'm not following you? Would you show me those this morning? Would you show me those? And by the power of the spirit and the grace of your son, Jesus, would you pick me up and put me back on the right path that I can glorify you and do the things that you've called me to do for your glory and your glory alone? Church, that's what I want for my life. I hope that's what you want for your life as well. It's the life that Christ calls us into, a life of boasting in Jesus, never boasting in self, a life of faith and belief in Christ and a life that's, that's lived in submission and obedience to the word that God has called us to live our life by, amen? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your faith. God, apart from those things, we remain lost. We remain under sin. We remain penalty for our own actions. God, if we could be saved by works, we would not be saved by works. We'd fail every single time. So we're grateful for your grace. We're grateful for what you did for us on the cross, your son, Jesus. God, may our boast never be in self. If we boast, may we boast in the Lord. 
God, this morning, would, would people believe upon you? Would they not just know about you, but come to know you as their Savior, God? They'd realize the things that you've done, that you came and lived a perfect life we couldn't live. You died a death to pay the penalty for our sin, the death that we deserve to die. But you didn't stay dead. You defeated death. And when we believe in you, we can actually live. We can live forever with you. Perfect harmony, perfect peace, perfect unity. God, for those who do believe, who do follow you, who are believers in Jesus, would you help them obey this week? Would you help them follow you step by step? Would you help them walk the way of Jesus? Would you help them boast in you along the way? God, we respond now in worship as we boast in how great you are, who you are, what you've done. God, we're so grateful for all of it. In Christ's name we pray. Now I'm gonna invite the prayer team to come out down front. Man, if you need prayer for anything this morning, I would invite you to come down and visit with them. If you got stuff going on in family, work, whatever it might be, anxiety, maybe it's something you wanna celebrate, something God is doing in your life. Man, come pray with them and thank God for them. If you also have questions, maybe you're this morning and would like to turn your life over to the Lord and stop holding so tightly to those reins, but actually give them to him for the first time in your life, I'd encourage you to come down. I'll be down front. I'd love to talk with you, pray with you. Also, the prayer team, um, they would love that opportunity just as well. Highlands, would we not be a church that boasts in self? Would we not boast in our accomplishments or the things that we can, the things that we said, things we can do or, or anything? If we're gonna boast, where should our boast be pointed? Towards Christ and towards Christ alone. Go boast in him this week and just see what happens because of it. We love you guys, love each other. We'll see you next week.